Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Previously on the Mike Wise Show. I remember specifically my Jewish teacher drove by one day in her car, and she saw me there. I was the only Jewish kid there. I had my keep on and everything. And she, she asked me, she said, hey, aren't you scared to be here all by yourself? And I said, no, I feel right at home right here. And I honestly did. So I grew up in that environment with um, tremendous respect um, and love. And a lot of my mentors came from the African-American community. And a lot of what I do is kind of giving back to thank them and to show the world that it really – there really is a lot of, you know, common qualities between the African-American and Jewish community. We're both based on respect and faith and giving back and spirituality and caring for each other. And those are the pillars of both communities. So I think we have a lot more in common than maybe is portrayed in the media and stuff like that. So I try to work through that energy, and I think basketball has proven itself as the best platform to bring the communities together. That was Tamir Goodman, also known as the Jewish Jordan from our show in mid-January, talking about how basketball has always been a sport loved and embraced by the African-American and Jewish communities. Today's guest played at Georgetown and in the NBA, and he's currently coaching at two Jewish schools in New York, one college and one high school. We'll have his story next. But first, Darlene, as usual, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you, Darlene. And yes, that's right. Uh, Michael Sweetney is a metropolitan D.C. native who played ball at Georgetown before being drafted ninth in that legendary 2003 NBA draft. Mike played four NBA seasons in eight more years around the world, from China to Puerto Rico to Venezuela and beyond. His current job, though, is assistant men's varsity coach at Yeshiva University in New York. And as we record this show on Thursday night, the wait now tell me if I'm pronouncing this right. The Maccabees? Yeah, the Maccabees. Well, Maccabees, Maccabees, yeah, somewhere around that, in that area. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm All just right. like you. And it's sad, you know, sad that, you know, I'm the coach. I should know that, right? But I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I've well, heard both versions. 
I've heard. Well, I, 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 I think we're I think we're honorary members of the tribe at this point. If you're coaching yeah. them, and I'm <laughs> and my producer Bruce Bernstein is Jewish, so I feel you know the Maccabees. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They play in the Division Three NCAA tournament on Friday. Mike also is the girls' varsity hoop coach at Ramaz School in New York. Welcome, Mr. Sweetney. It's good to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, uh, yeah, let's get it. <laughs> the, the pride of Oxen Hill High School. Uh, when I was 11 years as Washington Post sports columnist, I got there the year after Michael Sweetney uh, was, had his, his spectacular Georgetown career. And, and also, I think you were you uh, the All-Met Player of the Year for the Post? Yes, my I want to say my uh, my yeah my senior year I was my senior year I was yeah. all player of the year. I remember that, and which was just yeah. a light well a huge to people people that aren't from Washington don't know that uh, as big as uh, the the Washington Post is they take high school sports so seriously and that's 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 a that's a great honor. Um, I'm talking to you on the night that there was national news that came out about your team. Um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine the feeling of you booked a hotel reservation, I believe, at the Hilton Doubletree in Pikesville, Maryland, ready for this Division Three, uh, the Division Three tournament, and and they cancel your reservations because one student, not one of your players, but one student at Yeshiva University was one of the New York, uh, the, the New York people that was afflicted with the coronavirus. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Um, yeah, we were literally we. We pulled up to the hotel, and uh, my coach came out upset, and he informed us that the hotel uh, pretty much last minute uh, canceled our reservations, um, you know. So, and I guess I guess with us, we were kind of upset because the whole situation came out yesterday, so they felt that way. They could at least gave us a heads up instead of letting us drive all the way down there, you know. We, you know, last minute we had to figure things out, so it was, it was kind of crazy weird. Like you said, there was a student that went there that had nothing really to do with our players, and, you know, actually the student was nowhere near – where our players even, you know, interacted. So they had no even contact, but they just put the student with the school and assumed, and I don't know. I don't know what happened. For whatever reason, they just thought the whole team was contaminated and told us we couldn't come, so. Yeah, I mean, it's it just, it's crazy. You you guys have this insane winning streak uh, headed into the NCAA, the NCAAs. Elliot Steinmetz, your coach, has essentially said this is discrimination. I don't know what kind of discrimination. I guess medical discrimination in a weird way. This is, yeah, it's, the I mean, first, yeah. it's the first time anti-Semitism hasn't come up. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? So, like when, when they said that, I was like, "Yeah, I don't know." That's, you know, that's, that's kind of not down my alley, right there. He's actually he's a lawyer, so right. he knows every term with the use, how to use it. So I was like, you know what? I would never question you, buddy. And he knew all his rights and what he could do, what the hotel was supposed to do. If that was the case. He said, you know, so. He knew everything, so I was like, you know what? I would never, you know, second guess him. <laughs> where, where did you guys end up staying? Uh, so right now we're actually downtown at this hotel called the Lord Baltimore. That's uh, okay. actually right by the Royal Farms Arena. So uh, you know, it's cool. We're right downtown in the city. It's a little bit more around. It's actually kind of worked out a little, you know, to our benefit. All right, I'm gonna give them a shout out because they took in the team that doesn't have coronavirus, but everybody thinks they do. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I get there. There's obviously a lot of concern with that coming up. This is um, people tell people. Uh, I know your journey, but not everybody mm -hmm. does. How did you get? You know, I think of you playing overseas. I um, I, I know your wife, great woman. My my bottom line is, 
I, I, people still in my, in, like I was in the office today at WSA 9, the TV station I work out in D.C., and they're going, what, what, hold up, Mike Sweeney's a coach at Yeshiva? He's an assistant coach? <laughs> Tell people how you ended up there. I think it's a great story. <laughs> no, no, it's funny because everybody has the same reaction. But um, so what happened was a good, you know, really close friend of mine. I actually did an interview with him, uh, Samir Goodman. He's like, he's been a really close friend of mine for like 20 years now. And I was with him in, uh, in Jerusalem this summer, you know, with him. And uh, kind of told him, hey, look, I'm back in New York, you know. And he said, oh, yeah, so, you know, do you want to coach? I was like, yeah, I wouldn't mind it. He was like, well, you know, um, my old coach, Harold Katz, and, um, you know, we both have a relationship with uh, Ellie, with uh, Coach Ellie Steinmetz at uh, Yeshiva. Would you want to coach there? So when he first kind of approached, when he first said it, I was like, um, okay. <laughs> and it wasn't like I was excited about the coaching job. I was more so, like, wondering – if they would accept me because I knew it was like an orthodox school, very religious. Right. And obviously, you know, I, I kind of stick out a little bit. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so I didn't know how that, <laughs> I didn't know how that would be. But um, yeah, it turned out like me and coach had a, you know, a couple of conversations over the phone and we hit it off, you know, immediately. And um, it was like, you know, we didn't, didn't look back. It's been awesome. I, I think it's a tremendous story. The Jewish Jordan gets one of Georgetown's premier big men as an assistant coaching job at a Jewish school in New York. You can't. Yeah. You, not, I, hey, look, not one, but two. Oh, um, that's true. Yeah, he hooked you up with Ramaz, too? Yeah, yeah Ramaz, because Ramaz, um, like I said, Coach Harold Katz, his son is the athletic director at Ramaz. He just took that job there. So he, he, once he told him that I was in New York, he kind of connected both sides in. I'm calling Demir up <laughs> after this and seeing if his he has he knows anybody that owns some media companies. I need a gear. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. Hey, That's so, uh, Tamir knows everybody. One of the things that Tamir and I spoke about, and he was great about it, and I, I thought you would lend some uh you'd lend some perspective to it too, was you know, we spoke right after the uh the killing on Hanukkah. Um, mm -hmm. by obviously an African-American man that uh, had many more problems than being just anti-Semitic. But, but, and I thought to myself, one of the things that, you know, if there's, if there's a bridge between the African-American and Jewish communities, man, basketball is one of them. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, you've seen that up close, probably even more so than anyone. Can you talk about it for a minute? Oh, for sure. Like I said, uh, with the, with, with the whole, with all the attacks going on, it's definitely been, been, you know, been a sad thing to see. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, I'm one of those people that, you know, I'm, no matter what race, what color you are, you know, what your religious beliefs are, I feel like, you know, nobody should be attacked for those reasons. And I think, um, you know, me and Coach Steinmetz and a few other people, we're really trying to, you know, brainstorm ways that we can kind of bridge the gap and, you know, bring guys, you know, bring everyone together because obviously sports does it. We want to take it to another level, you know, further from that. And um, like I said, just seeing the attacks, you know, it really hurt my heart because, you know, just seeing somebody just getting attacked for, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know if it's religious reasons or I've heard, I've seen interviews where there's other reasons why people are upset. So do I really know the full reason why people are upset? I just know there are different versions. So sure. it's one of those things that I think, you know, you know, I know it's going to be a long journey, but get the conversation started to try to bridge that gap and get everybody together on one page. Yeah, well, I was noticing that one other team in the D3 tournament is located a mile away from my producer's house in West Hartford. It's St. Joseph's College, and they're mm -hmm. coached by Jim Calhoun. Yes, that Jim Calhoun. If Yeshiva <laughs> and St. Joe's match up in the D3 NCAA tourney, it's a Big East flashback with the Georgetown guy going up against the UConn guy. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that so much. I would <laughs> love that because, um, 
Because I'll be a great thing. Yes, and he's one of those gifts. I only played UConn once in my career at Georgetown, and uh, they beat me. So I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I, I need a rematch. So yeah, yeah. so I, I need to get one back at him. But um, yeah, and, I, and actually, I just found that out a couple of days ago when I guess his team won the championship, made you know, made it to the NCAA tournament, and I saw Jim Calhoun, and I was like, and I had to read it against. Did he have like a son or a junior? I was like, no, that's the real Jim, Jim Calhoun. And they like. Blew my mind. I didn't know he was there for the last, I guess, what, what three years? I had no clue he was there. So, it's, a, it's, you know, it's awesome to see that. Yeah, no, I look, look, I'm all about, there's so much age discrimination going on. I'm okay if old dudes get jobs now. You know, what the heck? You know, um, if he can still coach, why not? Larry Brown came on the program not too long ago and told us how an NBA coach or two basically said they don't need his help when he just volunteered to be consulting for free. And I'm wow. like, who couldn't use it? Larry Brown's expertise, you know? Yeah, no, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Who, by the way, who was coach when you were in New York? <laughs> so when I tell people, when people ask me that question, I kind of laugh. They laugh at me with my response. So I kind of had four coaches in two years. That's I right. I started out with, yeah, I had Don Chaney, Lenny Wilkins, Harold, I'm sorry, Herb, uh, Herb Williams, and uh, I had Larry Brown for a split second. Wow. I said all wow. I had all that in a two year span. Man, let's talk about dysfunction. Uh yeah. <laughs> you just I think, uh, you I think, we, might, I think we might have a new definition of that word. I mean, you just never got to a situation where yeah. you could feel comfortable at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely one of those things. Like I can say, you know, I went through a lot and that during that time of my life it was a you know, it was a dark period with, you know, the situation with the team there was so much going on with the coaching change and upper management and stuff going on and you know i lost you know lost my father so it was just a lot going on everywhere i turned so it was a, it was a dark it was a dark road yeah i um i gotta commend you for one because one i i, I was one of the first people to write about um um ron artest now meta world peace when he when he went to capitol hill and talked about look we we need more help with mental health in this country and i think as an athlete and especially in many ways as an African-American athlete who, you know, like you're supposed to, you know, you're told as a child, you got to work twice as hard, all the racism, you got to work. You, and it's almost as if you're not allowed to admit any weakness. And, and to me, I look back on things in my own life anyway, and I go, well, the, the things that I actually admitted where I needed help, that, that was, to me, it was more sign of strength. You showed people that in many ways when I thought you came out and talked about your depression and how and the holes and the black hole that you went into. And I just like one, I got to I got to salute you. But two, I wanted to ask you if if that's how you grew up, that that was a sign of weakness. If you talked about your problems, it's definitely looked upon as, you know, a sign of weakness. And, you know, you're not supposed to talk about your problems, what goes on between yourselves with the state private. So. A lot of times, you know, that's how you were brought up. And so when I, you know, when I started going through my issues, I was scared to say something to people. I was scared to feel like I was vulnerable. So, you know, it, it kind of, you know, it, it kind of hurt me a little bit. And now it's just, I mean, I'm in a position now, I'm, I'm comfortable in sharing my story. And then like, once I just said, forget it, I'm going to share my story. I don't care what happens. It actually turned into a positive. You know, a lot of people, you know, kind of reacted to it. I started hearing other people's stories and what other people went through. So it made me feel so much better about myself what I went through and knowing that, you know, I wasn't the only one that's, you know, gone through stuff in life. So it was a good thing, but it definitely looked, it definitely was at one point growing up, 
looked upon as, you know, something that's very, very negative. But now that narrative is starting to change a lot now. Yeah, I I love your quote uh, that uh, that was in the New York Post, and uh, it just said so much about like how everybody in the world thinks that you've got the the dream life, but in your world, you know, you're you're mate, you know, someone told me once the most dangerous seven inches in the world are, are between your ears. The the things you can come up with in your own crazy head about how bad your life is and, and telling yourself stories that don't really exist. I love this quote. I'm going to read it for people. Quote, I was on a billboard in the middle of Times Square and my family was all excited and taking pictures and I felt nothing. That's how dark mm -hmm. of a place I was in. To think, that, uh, to think of that person back then, 21 years old, money in the bank, fame, playing for the Knicks, and you're not happy, it's like, wow. That... I, yeah. You know that that was that's deep, and and it took you to a place where you, at one point, you wanted to take your own life. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, when I you know during that time, that was my darkest moments of my life. You know, because I had to lose yeah. my father and and you know suffering from depression and you know I, you know being honest, I did. I I, did, I attempted suicide. I attempted to take pills. You know, one night hoping that I wasn't gonna wake up the next day, and that's how bad it was. And at this time, like you said, you know, I got billboards in Times Square playing for the Knicks money in the bank and I was just this person that you know I was just wasn't happy and you know trying to you know trying to play two 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 lives you know at home I was depressed and I was sad and I was miserable then out in, out in public you know I was forced to put on this role that I'm just this happy go person life was great you know life was awesome and you know those mm -hmm. trying to battle those two it, it broke me down well you um your father, Samuel, how old was he when he died of a heart attack? He was 52. I mean, that's young. That's so young. And um, and I just, you know, I, this is this is apropos of nothing. But one of the things I've been doing in my job is this homeless project. And it's amazing how many people when I don't even call them homeless, they're just experiencing homelessness because that's not their identity. I talk to people and I can't tell you how many people tell me that they lost either a mother or a father and that sent them spiraling. And I go, no, yep. no, it must've been drugs, mental illness. He goes, yeah, that was part of it afterwards. But what really sent me spiraling was my father or my mother was everything to me. And I'm yep. like, you know, I, when my dad died and he was 73, I didn't even admit it for a long time, but I was really depressed and I had a complicated relationship with the man, but it really, it, it broke me at the core in ways I can't even tell you. And well, I could tell you cause you understand. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. I mean, if you say it's one of those things, you know, like I said, a lot of people that you see, I'm not saying every single person, but a lot of people you can say that's on drugs or have, you know, alcohol addiction. A lot of that stuff do come from a mental, you know, it kind of does start with something mental because they use that to ease their pain. And for me, you know, I didn't use, you know, alcohol or, uh, you know, alcohol or drugs, you know, my addiction was food. You know, I would, I would you know, eat to make me comfortable, eat mm -hmm. to kind of solve the pain and that's how they, that's how I was, you know, gain weight and end up losing my NBA career. So you're right. So, you know, a lot of times when people, you know, see the people that have those issues, you know, you know, most of the majority of the times it is something that triggered them to do that to try to ease their pain. You know, you know, you just brought that up and I almost feel like a tinge of, I don't know, not sadness, but like I'm angry at myself because when when I used to cover the Knicks and the the NBA for the New York Times, and then later as a post sports columnist, I you know I can't tell you how many times we made fun of like whoever was eating themselves out of the league, a Benoit Benjamin, um, Oliver Miller, 
you know, whoever it was, we would like be, you know, sort of like, oh man, look at that guy. He's, you know, Sean Kemp. And having no idea down deep that that's just like, you know, I medicate with food. They medicate, that was, that was their drug. And mm-hmm. they probably had a lot more going on than just the fact that they could, they had a big appetite. They probably, that was their way of protecting themselves. And, um, and, and I look back on it now and I just, I'm glad we know this now, but I just, I feel very heartless that we even had those conversations before. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like, you know, I had a reporter that wrote, um, kind of wrote an article about me, you know, it was like mm. all types of, you know, you know, that kind of, you know, kind of my weight, like, you know, Mikey Sweeney used to be this size. Now look at him. He looks horrible. It was like a mm-hmm. horrible, you know, and, um, once my story came out about my mental health and what I was going through, we actually had a good conversation. He apologized about what, you know, what he wrote, why he wrote it. And he was like, you know, it's one of those things. Like, I feel horrible. I said, like, you know, don't feel horrible. Like, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, now people are starting to understand what people go through. But at that time, you know, people didn't really understand mental health. You know, now it's starting to get understood now because it's talked about that, you know, what people do when they go through stuff. So, you know, I always tell people don't feel horrible. It's a lot of times, we just didn't, you know, understand. You didn't know, right? We were, yeah. we were, ig- we were ignorant. Who? Do you mind me asking who was the writer? Uh, Dan Steinberg. Oh, Dan Steinberg yeah, yeah. of the Washington Post. Yeah, yeah, and we had a, you good, know, we had a, good, we had an awesome, good friend of mine. Yeah, and that's the thing. And we, we came, you know, for a while, you know, I was just, I felt some type of way about him. Then we finally had a good conversation. Yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, like, that's I look great. At him, you know, he's all, he's, he's a good guy. So. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, like you, you were really going to, you were, what, what kind of pain pills did you take? Actually, it was a, <laughs> Advil, it was an Advil extra strength. And at the time, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. My intent, right, I right. took like, I took like 15, 20, I could say 15 to 20 pills I took. Oh. And, you know, I was in my, I'm a big guy. So it really didn't, I mean, I felt like crap. It didn't do anything yeah. to me. I trust me. The next day I felt horrible, but you know, it was one of those things. And I had to literally go to shoot around practice that next morning feeling like crap. I couldn't tell nobody what I did because then that would just ruin everything. But yeah, it was one of those things that, you know, my intention was to end it all. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But you look, I'll salute you to the max because not only did you confront a lot of that, you had a, you had a career after the NBA. You played, I mean, you, you had life experiences that not even many of the people you got drafted with could ever have unless they went to the Olympics and many other tournaments. Uh, I, I love, when, when did you get, when did you really confront all this? Actually, when I was overseas, when I was overseas playing, um, I was able to, um, you know, just kind of, cause you know, I would go to counselors yeah. and do all that stuff. I tried a few counselors when I was back home, but I was, but I was always kind of faced with my problems back home where everywhere, every time I go to a grocery store, every time I go somewhere, somebody's like, Man, what happened to your NBA career? You know, you turn into this. You know, it's like everywhere I faced me, like family and friends, like it was, it was no peace of mind. And then, kind of when I went overseas, I was, I was able to, you know, have my counseling over there. But also, I was just another, you know, Joe Smoke walking down the street. Nobody knew that I was a Mike Sweeney from the NBA and the New York Knicks. So I was able to just to kind of be myself, and that's how I was able to accept my father's death and accept that, you know, my NBA career, you know, didn't turn out the way I wanted it to be or where everybody else expected to be, but have another, you know, another life, you know, I have, I have more life to live and you know, that was time to go for the next journey. And uh, once I faced that, I was, you know, I, my, it changed my whole life. 
I think even my wife, she mentioned, she's like, when I came home from one of my trips, she's like, I don't know who you are and what happened overseas, mm-hmm. but, you know, I love it. I love this new person that you're turning into. And I think that's when, no, I think like, I think that's for me, that's what worked for me. It's just kind of getting away for a little bit, disconnecting and just hitting that reset button. Yeah, I also love the quote when, when, when you did uh, not only confront your depression, but also made changes in your life. I love this. If your mind isn't right, your body will follow. My wife was the only one who knew about the depression because she would see it firsthand. I became a professional at masking. She saw the real person at home that was crying and a wreck. I mean, I, I, you know, I love all that because while I'm sure there's a part of you that goes, what could I have been if I had been in the right situation? If my father was still alive, what kind of MBA career I could have had? Man, you... Like and I and I said this once to um, what was his name Ryan Leaf who that's not the best analogy but but this guy you know he went he hit the doldrums and now he's like he's got a treatment center going I, I think of all the people you helped that maybe you would have never helped if you made more millions and just like 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 the people that you probably stopped from in uh, uh, taking their own life all the people you mentored. I think there's something to be said for that. That's that that's that that really I don't know speaks to the person you are. Hey, I can say yeah, yeah. And, and, and one of those things, you know. And I always and I, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I do question, like, man, if I would have got drafted into another situation, maybe they would have understood what I was going through at the time, and you know, I would have had more fun. That stuff, I would I would be a lot of things. That stuff doesn't cross my mind to say, man, I would have had a I could have had a ten you know ten year career maybe, but. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm like, like I said, I've accepted everything happens for a reason. I think right now I've been put on, you know, put on, you know, put on this world to be that. And when I, it's crazy, I'm gonna tell you this quick story. Yeah. Uh, one of my close friends, I had two, I had two good friends that don't know each other, right? They had, and this is when I was going through my depression. I was just like in a really dark place. And they said um, they both had the same dream. And they came to me. They, they, they called me at different times. Don't know each other. He said, hey, I want to talk to you something. You was in my dream. Like, what do you mean? And I said, I think, you know, God was talking to me in your dream about you, you know, that you're going to be on this pedestal one, and that you're going to be in front of people, inspiring people about your life story. Mm. This is why I'm still in a dark place. They don't know each other. Mm. I'm like, what are you talking about? And now that it, this is stuff is happening where, you know, I'm able to get in front of people and do speaking engagements and speak at schools, um, you know, talk to, you know, have little, you know, I have, you know, situations where I do, you know, mentor people, you know, just privately where I just, you know, so what they dreamed about, and I had no clue when I was in my space, actually just started to come to fruition, you know, fruition. So like, it's amazing. <laughs> it's oh, amazing. I mean, that you talk about, you know, like talk about like a sign, a message. Wow. Yeah. That's, so like they say, yeah. So, so like you said, like, you know, you know, yes, the career didn't go the way it went, but you know, this, you know, I'm at, and I always tell people, I'm at more peace and more happy than I am now, you know, doing the work that I'm doing that I was playing in the NBA. People like, well, how? And people, now I say that, people look at me like I'm just the craziest person. And we're like, really? I'm like, yeah, like, you know, you know, yeah, it is. No, no I get, I get that. I mean, look, yeah. you're, you're, you're a lot younger than me. In fact, God, I can't believe yeah. how you, you make, you make me feel, you make me feel incredibly uh, old, by the way, you were born <laughs> the same year I graduated from high school. Um, but but I was thinking like you're you're like I, I I started late with kids. You got three kids of your own. I can't yeah. tell you how much joy that brings me and how much I feel like I was meant to be a dad. I mean that you that you could give me all the money in the world, I wouldn't be a better dad. You know, it just doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
That's true. Like I said, now, like you said, you know, with that, with my experiences, like I'm just, you know, not only just inspiring others, but I think for real, I'm a, and you know, you ask my wife, I'm a, I'm a better husband now. I'm a better friend of my friends, better son to my mom, you know, and I'm, and, you know, just weighing with my children, like, you know, just the love and affection I just give them, I pour into them daily because I don't want them to, you know, feel what I felt. And I always just try to just, you know, just be there for them and show them that, you know, you know, life has its ups and downs, but, you know, no matter what, you know, dad is here with, with, with you know, unconditional love. Well, you, you got to show me at some point you have to, you have to, you have to teach me the discipline not to eat. I, I still want to eat stuff <laughs> in the refrigerator. Like, like I got these Girl Scout cookies, these thin mints right now. I want to yeah. go get them right now, but I know I'm not supposed to. And it's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think with me, I think when I went to the doctor, the doctor told me that, hey, you keep going in this road, you know, 15, 10, 15 years from now, you might not, you know, be the healthiest guy. You might, you know, it'd be a struggle living. And that's, that's what I knew that I had to make the change. And, uh, but I, yeah. I think also too, with my mentality, where I am mentally, that helps me. Cause like I said, I don't have, I don't have that urge. Of course, you know, I'd be lied if I don't love, still love junk food, but right, I don't right, just right. eat junk food just to, you know, I have a full belly and I'm still eating it just to try to comfort. I don't do that, but you know, it's not that I don't use it for my comfort anymore. Plus I'm sure I mean, I would be tempted if I was coaching Yeshiva. I would love to just post up some of those kids just because I'm, <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, have to, yeah. you have to back some of them down. I mean, I don't, I, you know, like, you, like you're a full-grown man still. Yeah, I know. And, if, you know, a couple of them, they, you know, they, they make their little remarks and they say little things like, yeah, you can't guard me or you can't beat me. So, <laughs> actually, I told, I, told one, I told one of the players, I said, you know what, give me some May 1st. I said, once the season's over, give me about two months to get in shape. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to find you. And I, I mean that too. I'm going to find him because he, he's been talking all year. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I got to show him. I said, we're going to play I half court, that. not full court, but half court. We're going to get it. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Oh, I love, you know, uh, Bruce Bernstein, my producer, is great. He gives me all these notes. Yeah. I, like, I, what was it, one of the great stories or any anecdotes that really, uh, you told me about the one that was really a, you know, a come to Jesus moment for you with, with yeah. your own stuff. But any anything hilarious or a funny anecdote that you remember from you know the Dominican Republic or or Venezuela or China or any of the places G League anywhere you anything that you remember in the in the years that you played after you left the Knicks. Um, I think for me, uh, I think my, I think my funniest moment. I don't want to say funny. I think yeah. was China. I think for me when I first I went that was like the first place I went to after the NBA. And, you know, you go from the NBA, you go from the five-star hotels to the, um, you know, to the, you know, the private planes and all that good stuff. And this is kind of like when the China League just started. So I went over to China, and uh, I was in a real China. I wasn't in the, in the tours. I was in, like, the city called Shanxi. Right. And uh, when I, when I got out like there. Close to, that sounds like it's close to Wuhan. Yeah, I don't know where it is. All I know is it was the middle of nowhere. And, uh, with, you know, I had poor internet over there. Uh, the food wasn't the greatest. Um, you know, you know, like over there, a lot of things were blocked, especially so a lot of things were blocked on the internet. So it was like there was no one, nothing I could really access. And uh, I want to say I lasted two weeks over there, and um, <laughs> I left. And oh wow! So mad at yeah, I left. I was like, yeah. So this is one of those I regret, kind of regret it to this day. I'm like, I handled that poorly. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's one of the things where I kind of just handled it wrong, and I just like, this is just not me. But now, you know. I went to places after that where I was in cities in Dominican Republic that was kind of rough. Uh, I had places in Puerto Rico that was kind of rough. So in Uruguay, it was, you know, it was parts that were rough and I handled it well. But I think that was one of the most, you know, learning experiences where things 
wasn't the greatest and I handled it wrong, but I just, it was a learning experience for me. But it actually humbled yeah. me so much. I, I learned so much. Like, it taught me a lot about just values when I got there, for sure. Uh, yeah, I love I love these uh, team names, by the way. The yeah. Shanzi Kylins, the Erie yeah. Bay Hawks, the yeah. wait, Congregarius de Santorchi. Yeah. Yeah, Congaredo is right here. The Bayamon Vaqueros. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your Spanish pronunciation is much better than mine. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, this is great, man. Like, what, 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 what a life experience, though. Like, all these places, I mean, shoot. It, I would. I was never good enough to play beyond, like, junior college. But, God, yeah. if you gave $200 to go to Australia and play in some, I would have win, you know, just to play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was uh, – it's probably some of the most experience, great experience. Like I said, you know, the fans over there are so passionate. Uh, you know, they say they treat you well. And also, like I say, I learned a lot about life. You know, it was like I said, when I was in Dominican Republic, when I would walk to practice, I saw people living in just places with just concrete floors and sheets. And they mm. were some of the happiest people on earth. Like, they would just come, they would come by games and cheer. And they'd just be so happy. And I'm like, <laughs> well, it is one of those things I say. I learned so much. I'm like, wow, we focus on material things so much. I'm like, these people don't have all the material, but they're happy. So it's just one of those things I learned. I didn't say it taught me like a lot of life value. So I'm glad that I was put in a position to go to those places to teach me about life and, you know, see the world. Well, I'm really excited about this D3 tournament. By the time um, this airs, uh, you guys will be back from the weekend. Um, where where are you seated? I, like, pardon my ignorance. I don't even know where the, Maccab <laughs> the Maccabees are seated so, right now. Yeah, I don't know. Either. We don't know either because, like, when I looked at the bracket, there's no numbers next to it. So, like, guys are asking tonight, like, you know, are we home or away? He was like, we just bring both jerseys. We'll find out when we get there. So, I don't, I'm not sure if there's, they just, they'll, they'll have like a bracket of four teams and one of the teams are kind of hoaxed. So, I'm sure, I'm assuming obviously they're the home seat. The other three, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, there's uh, the, no seating. Um, you guys won't play Saturday, right? Because it's a Sabbath. Yeah, but we play soon and sundown over. Like, because, you know, it's oh, from right, right, sundown right. Friday to Sunday on Saturday. So, like, Coach already talked about it. He's like, you know. Play Saturday night. Well, yeah, it's so as soon as – if we win Friday, we play Saturday. So, as soon as the uh, Sabbath is over, we had to – you know, guys got to jump in the car and head to the gym. Have you been given so, a, a an honorary yarm, uh, yarmulke yet? No, I haven't gotten an honorary one, but I do have a few that I've gotten from tournaments or speaking engagements. And because, yeah, like, sometimes cool. I visit, when I visit uh, sh different shows, I have to wear, you know, a yarmulke out of respect. So, I've, you know, I've had a few of them. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I what I will plan to do, and I, and I promise you this, is love to, at some point, when you come back to D.C., whether it's in Oxon Hill, wherever it is, I'd love to come see you speak because I, I, I can imagine – some some kids and some adults are very moved by what you have to say. Oh yes, for sure. Like it's definitely, and I because I'm not bragging, but I've had great experiences where every time I spoke, you could hear a pin drop. Because I think a lot of kids they get shocked by, wow, NBA player went through this, the NBA player went through X, right. Y, and Z. It shows them another side because a lot of times they see, you know, all the money and the cars and the, the good life. They don't know sometimes, you know, guys, you know, do live real life just like them. You know, they might have a mom that's not, you know, feeling good or you know, got to deal with, you know, family issues, you know, guys, they do, you know, they are human. So I think they see that human side of it, you know, it definitely, you know, tunes them in. Well, somebody like Chris Heron too, you know, where yeah. he talks mm -hmm. about his own journey through darkness and coming back to light. It's, 
It's one of the, wait, you were you were with the Celtics and you were meeting your Oxycontin dealer outside before games? Yeah, like it was, yeah, it's crazy. And I, I think like <laughs> you, you put you, him, a couple other guys together. We, you've got a book, What the Young Fellas Need to Know. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, for sure. It's true. It's true. Like, you know, guys need to know this. It's something, you know, rookie transition, they need to prepare these guys. Like, yes, you know, they already pay about budgeting your money and, you know, working out and, you know, the balancing your time. They just say, hey, but, you know, this is real life. So, you know, how do you, you know, what do you do when adversity hits? What do you do when, you know, so, yeah, for sure. I agree. Well, there is, before I let you go, there is one upside to all this. Uh, you, you, did you hear what happened to Spike Lee this uh, the other day? Yeah, yeah, that was that was. I, I felt bad for him. That was really, really upsetting for him. You know, one of one of those guys that. I, and I think when somebody did the math, I want to say he spent almost close to ten million dollars throughout the year as far as like tickets yeah. and stuff. So for that to happen to him, it was definitely disheartening, man. And I'm hoping, well, you know, I'm you hoping know, things I, get better. Yeah. If I'm the owner, I mean, if you spend that kind of money and you essentially Spike's given them a Q rating in years they didn't even deserve one, I mean, I would let I'd let Spike Lee, you know, rappel with a rope down from the ceiling if he wanted to. That's yeah, how he wanted to get yeah. in. Who cares? That's, that's one of those things I, you know, and that's one of the things I didn't I, never, I didn't understand. Like that's something yeah. that you clean up very fast. You make sure he's taken care of. You make sure that situation. You apologize. You know, your yeah. your press release say, hey, we apologize that this happened, Spike Lee. So. You know, yeah. I'm just hoping that situation can get better and repair it. So, you know, Spike, you know, I know you have, I know they have good players, but Spike is a fixture. He's the fixture of the yes. Knicks. Like, you think of the Knicks, he's one of the first people to come to mind. You think of Patrick Ewing, but, you know, Spike Lee is in the top five. Yes. If you think about when it comes to the New York Knicks. So, yeah. it definitely should be repaired. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. I guess my, my, my reason for bringing that up is to tell you, I know there's nights when you wake, when you wake up and go, damn, I could have had that career. I'm telling. I'm here to say you have missed nothing with the Knicks the last 15 to 20 years. <laughs> that is true. It's been the same old thing. Come on, yeah, I mean, come on, same. man. You're like, oh my gosh, what a like. I I can't imagine a a more a more glorious franchise that they just driven into the ground. It's just sad. Yeah, yeah, but, definitely. I don't. Yeah, I just I'm just hoping it gets better. But you know, it's one of those things. I don't know if it's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully, yeah. hopefully in our lifetimes. All right, well, yeah. say 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 hello to your wife. Um, uh, uh, give your kids big hugs and kisses tonight. And and bottom line is, good luck with uh, good luck with the Maccabees Yeshiva this weekend. And I'm telling you, I don't care if you guys come back and ever play another tournament. You can stay at my house if the Hilton DoubleTree kicks you out. Awesome, I appreciate the invite. We'll, we'll, we'll hold you to that. <laughs> so thank All you right, so man. much for this. This means a lot. Thank no, you. No, you made you made my yeah. night. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thanks to our guest, Michael Sweetney. Regardless of how the Maccabees fare in the NCAA tournament, it has been a memorable season, and Mike's role in it is a great story. Our producer Bruce Bernstein wasn't good enough to make Yeshiva's team. But he was a mainstay on the legendary JCC travel teams from Brockton, Mass. in the 1970s. Our editor, Ben Wolfen, is a baller from New Jersey, and we thank him for everything. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops shows. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt drops each Thursday. The Pure Hoops podcast with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman has a new show each Friday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin drops each Wednesday. Our newest show, Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams, has a new episode each Tuesday. And I'm back every Monday with a fresh new Mike Wise show. Please listen to all of them. Rate, review, and most of all, enjoy. Aloha. Wise Guy out.
The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.